Patricia Jimenez, in her essay, Theology and Anti-Racism, Latino and Latina Perspectives, also from Soul Work, writes, true liberation requires denunciation of oppression and then a further step, annunciation, telling what the future will be regardless of whether the prediction comes true within our history or not. Telling what the future will be is an opportunity for us to dream. It is an opportunity to tap into the creative magic that happens when each person is encouraged and expected to be a creative agent. When the response creates new, a new community of love and justice, we become co-creators with the divine. Our survival and our salvation depend on liberation for all. So last month, I lost a plant. Caring for houseplants has been a longtime passive hobby of mine until last summer when I moved into a new house and I don't know if this is a great choice or a terrible choice, but I joined a houseplant Facebook group. And now I've become that person who walks into other people's houses thinking, that Sanservia is getting too much light and that Peperomia is yellowing because you have been giving it too much water. <laughs> and negotiating with my partner exactly how many plants is too many plants. But I digress. Last month I lost a plant, two in fact. And it was a plant that I had started as a cutting from a dear friend's plant maybe seven or eight years ago, which despite my relative ignoring of it for several years was thriving. It frequently allowed for new cuttings. It had dozens of offshoots. It surprised me two years into our relationship by producing flowers. And it grew so much and so well that I had two large plants from this one little cutting. And all of a sudden, two months ago, the leaves started yellowing and falling off. One was here at church and one was at home. So I don't know what happened. I was so distressed. I had just repotted them, I had had them for so long, but no matter what I did, more sun, more water, more food, nothing seemed to help. And finally, when it seemed that all was lost, when the stems had gotten really mushy and the bark just sloughed off when I touched it, I did a post-mortem plant autopsy. And I discovered that the roots had rotted into slimy, wobbly, mushy shells of their old forms, that all of my efforts, more water, more sun, had been in vain, that the yellowing leaves, the dying trunks, none of it could be saved with a rotting root system. And I think of this as a metaphor when I looked at the exercise that we did with our kids today, the things that they listed that were wrong, unequal pay, some people get candy and some people don't, all of these things feel like metaphors, like yellowing leaves and withering branches, indicators that something is wrong at the root level. And yet sometimes when we are talking about social change, we get stuck because we don't fully know where we're going or how to get there. And what I love about the exercise that we did with our kids today is that we then ask to name flowers, the things that are truly compelling and beautiful about a better world. It doesn't ask for the blueprint of how to get there. Not yet. Because sometimes I think that we, our brains can focus too much on what's immediately practical, 
that our hearts forget to see the beauty of what is possible. That dreaming and imagination can have a truly prophetic, creative quality. When I was in college, I was an active Unitarian Universalist and largely shaped by my experiences in my faith community, particularly around anti-racism and social justice organizing. But in school, I became a women's studies major, and I can see several of you now saying, oh, Heather, that explains a lot. <laughs> but I really loved everything I was learning in my classes. I was deconstructing everything, social constructions of gender and race and identity, the economy, the media, advertising. I became the roommate that no one wanted to watch TV with anymore. But the truth was that I was getting burnt out in my classes, and it showed up for me in increased anger and frustration at others who's, who just didn't get it, feeling tired about the idea of going to more protests, self-righteous at family holidays, constantly frustrated, and not satisfying. I realized that what I was longing for was something to put in place of that deconstructing, a reconstruction, a sense of Yes, yes, I know that this idea is problematic, that that story is being told to make a profit, that this narrative upholds the domination of some groups of people, but what can we do instead? How am I supposed to live with all of this knowledge? What am I going to do? And serendipitously, at that same time, I had the opportunity to start working with a group of Unitarian Universalist friends who were working to start an intentional living community grounded in the values and tradition of Unitarian Universalism. The funny story behind this is that 11 years ago when my friend Matt, with whom I co-founded the co-op, who will actually be here to lead worship on April 7th, when he told me about this idea that he and another mutual friend were throwing around about starting the co-op, I turned to him and I said, Matt, that is literally the craziest idea anyone has ever had. It's never going to work. But if anyone can make it happen, it's you, so I suppose I'll help out. And I jumped straight to the practical, the roadmap, the blueprints, skipping over the beauty of the vision that he had. And so I started to work on this project with a team of six or seven others, casting a vision of housing being used as a means of shelter, not profit, of a cooperatively owned venture, where people could, who otherwise would not have access to controlling their own living situation could democratically control their rent, could make decisions about the living situation and other things that affected their lives. We cast a vision of shared decision-making, of community wealth growing through communally-owned homes, of believing that we can better live our values when we live them in community. I lived there for seven and a half years, and those years were harder and more beautiful and more transformative than I could ever have imagined. And in the time that I lived there, I shared a home with over 60 people, went to an estimated 400 two to three hour meetings, <laughs> cooked an uncountable number of dinners for 15 people, don't even let me get started on the emails, I hosted UU youth groups, we sang together, we shared dinners, we had conflict, we built consensus, and we shared the work of maintaining a home and a community. And there are so many things that I could say about my time living in that community, but what stands out to me now is twofold. 
First, it spoke to me for so many years because it was a way to create the world that I wanted to live in, not just to live in constant discontent with a world that I knew to be broken. It was generating, announcing, dreaming that world that my heart knew was possible, which is not to say that it was not also heartbreakingly hard and devastatingly disappointing at times. And second, those of us who started the community were all amateurs. None of us had ever bought a house, filed papers with the IRS, or read a mortgage amortization schedule. But we learned, and we had the benefit of not having been convinced that this world our hearts knew was possible would be too hard to get to. We set out on the path without knowing all of the steps along the way. We asked for the support of our community, but we were not tied to the way it had always been done because none of us knew what that was. It was not utopia. It was not even close. And the community still continues. It has been, continues to be, and has been a kind of experiment in trying to bring into being that world that our hearts know is possible in its own little corner of the world. It was an experiment for me in announcing the world that our hearts know as possible, rather than simply denouncing the world as it is. Unitarian Universalist historian and scholar Dan McCannon wrote in his book, Prophetic Encounters, when human beings encounter one another deeply, in the midst of their struggles for freedom and equality and community, prophetic encounter, prophetic power is unleashed. This is the power to denounce, to, to condemn those who would grind the faces of the poor into the dust, in the words of the prophet Isaiah. But it is also the power to announce, to proclaim God's kingdom that will be realized here on earth, the beloved community. Dan McCannon wrote in his book, wrote this book on religion and the American radical tradition, which he described as saying, some would call it the path of prophets, Others speak of the American radical tradition or simply the left, but it is the path of abolitionists who called on their neighbors to immediately renounce the sin of slavery, the path of feminists who recognize patriarchy, of, of socialists who labored to build a cooperative commonwealth, and of pacifists who saw, the war, saw war as the ultimate affront to humanity. McCannon's word, use of the word radical to describe this tradition makes sense to me once, are you ready? I learned the etymology. <laughs> because the etymology of the word radical is root. Fun side note, also the same word for radish. <laughs> and that etymology of the word radical meaning root is to take an approach that looks at the root causes of the things that are wrong, to see what is stemming from the roots. A radical approach is simply to look at the root causes of the ailment. And I think back to my plant and the dying root system and the leaves of the systems that we are living in. And I think, what is happening at the roots in our society? Is it racism? Is it sexism? Is it homophobia or transphobia? Is it greed? Is it isolation? Is it imperialism? Is it capitalism? I don't actually know the answers to these questions. But I do wonder, what would a radical response, a response that goes to the root of the problem, 
look like? In reading the rest of Dan McCannon's book, it is interesting to note that within Unitarian Universalism, our faith tradition has had an interesting and tenuous relationship to radical thought leaders and activists. In particular, I think of Theodore Parker, who was a fearless Boston-based preacher who wrote sermons with a pistol on his desk to protect runaway slaves. And he was branded as a heretic, outcast by his more conservative Unitarian colleagues at the, of the day. And now, within Unitarian Universalism, we lift him up as the originator of the quote, the arc of the universe is long, but it bends toward justice. Others were quoting him. We teach about him in our Sunday schools, and we cite most of our impressive UU social justice legacy as being grounded in his work. And sim similarly, Ralph Waldo Emerson, who we laud as being one of the founders of our faith, he gave a speech at Harvard Divinity School in 19 1838, making comments that were so radical at the time that they disinvited him to Harvard Divinity School for the next 30 years. And I reflect on both of these men who were labeled so radical, radical and, and who were labeled so radical, but who were ridiculed in their time and are revered by history. So I would say that I, I don't talk about my personal politics at church that much. <laughs> I can't even get it out. But I do all the time because my politics are actually a reflection of my faith. Because my faith tells me that people are inherently valuable. And in this world that we live in, that is political. Because remember, Parker Palmer says that politics are our shared work of building together. And my faith says that people can be redeemed. My faith says that black lives matter, that trans lives matter, that violence is structural, not only interpersonal, that we are interconnected. My faith says that we are part of something larger than ourselves. My faith says that everyone is in, that every single person is worthy of love. My faith says that we must do the work to create the beloved community right here on earth. And my faith says that a better world is possible. My friends, faith is the work of living with a foot in both worlds, the world that we live in and that world that our hearts knows is possible. And spiritual maturity is being able to hold both at once, that world that we live in and the world that is not yet. Sharon Welch, a Unitarian theologian, writes about what it means to have an ethic of risk and spiritual maturity when working for a better world. She writes, an ethic of risk offers a model of maturity that challenges the equation of maturity with resignation with an acceptance of the improbability of fundamental social change. Within that ethic of social of risk, maturity means recognizing that ideas are far from realization and not easily won, that partial change occurs only through the hard work and persistent struggle of generations. Maturity entails that the, entails the recognition that language of causes and issues is profoundly misleading conveying the notion that work for justice is somehow optional, something of a hobby or short-term project, a mere tying up of loose ends in an otherwise satisfactory social system. 
Within an ethic of risks, she continues, maturity is gained through the recognition that evil is deep-seated, that the barriers to fairness will not be removed easily, not by a single group or a single generation. Maturity is the acceptance, not that life is unfair, but that the creation of fairness is the task of generations, and that work for justice is not incidental to one's life, but is an, is an essential aspect of affirming the delight and wonder of being alive. So yes, I will confess I want a revolution. I don't know all the steps of what it takes to get there. I don't know that it will be done in my lifetime. But I know that I want a fundamental transformation down to the roots. I may even be radical, but if I am radical, as Martin Luther King said, it is because I am radical for love. It is because my heart believes that a world is possible, a world where we value human lives over profit, a world where people have a real say in the things that affect their lives, where people of all genders are safe to walk home at night, where coming out is not even a thing because boxes and assumptions will be gone, where we can have enough and live well without destroying the planet, where everyone has healthy food to eat, a safe place to sleep, and access to health care, where black and brown and trans and indigenous people are not more likely to die from the police or from pollution or in the desert or from lack of health care, where people who harm other people are brought to account, where relationship is restored and harm is repaired. And I'm not a policymaker, I'm a preacher. And I'm trying to announce before I start doubting my own vision, before I start trying to draw that roadmap and feeling like it all might be impossible. But I do know that, and I know that the world that your heart knows is possible might not be the same as the world that my heart believes is possible. But in order to start dreaming about that world, we need all of us. We need the dreamers, the architects, the thinkers, the hold on, go slowers, the policymakers, the preachers, the workers, the teachers, the artists, the parents, the healers, the elders, the future ones, all of us. We need to share that world that is in our own hearts. We need to practice enunciation, not only denunciation. And this, my friends, is why we come to church because communities of faith hold out that another world is possible, that another way of living is possible. And as we seek to make manifest through our communities that world, that beloved community, we come together and we seek to do that together. We often say that we come to church to practice being the people that we say we want to be, but I'd say today that we practice coming to, that we come to church to also practice being the communities that we say we want to be. And we come to church to practice being the world that we say we want to be. So friends, let us be radicals for love. Let us look to the roots to find what flourishes and what is dying on the vine. Let us dream and vision and announce the world that our hearts know is possible even though we know that it will be the work of generations. That, we will, that we, will likely, we will not likely see this world in our lifetimes, that the path toward that world may be unclear, but that together, together, 
over generations and with hope and love, we may just get a little closer. May it be so, and amen.